Now, last week, uh, well, really the last two or three weeks, we've really, really hit the topic, the subject of God's sovereignty over all things, that even throughout this entire flood account, uh, God has been orchestrating all of the events that have come to pass, and He's working it all together for His purposes and His glory. We've looked at, a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, we looked at Noah's Noah and his sons, of course, their obedience in following the instructions of building the ark and preparing. Uh, and the fact that they did all those things because they had faith that God is God and that when he speaks, um, you obey. And they had faith in what God was saying in that all flesh would be destroyed. And God was going to save them and preserve their families through the ark. Uh, last week, we went through all of uh, chapter 8 and we worked our way uh, through all of those details there and we talked how uh, really it was almost a, um, a a backtracking of everything that had taken place a lot of the numbers were repeated you've got 150 days and then 40 days and then we see that Noah and his family as they're getting off the ark uh, it's as if we're really getting ready to kind of start over that's a really loose way of putting it but Almost a starting over, kind of a restart, and in a lot of ways, Moses or not Moses, sorry, Noah is a second Adam. So, in what ways is he a second Adam? Well, after the flood, of course, we know that it is just Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And as we're going to read in the first uh, verse here of chapter nine. God gives them the directive to be fruitful and multiply. And of course, that takes us all the way back to the garden, to the creation account, to the creation of Adam and Eve. And they are told to be fruitful and multiply. And all of the animal kingdom, all of the things that that crawl, all of the birds of the air, they, of course, are told to be fruitful and multiply. They reproduce after their own kind. And so what do we have? Uh, who do we have coming off of the ark? Noah, his wife. The three sons, their wives, and all of the animals that were on the ark with them. And so we again have this directive to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And due to the fact of the flood, all things were done away with. All things were overtaken in the wrath and the judgment of God through the flood. All of the uh, the animal kingdom, all of the plants overtaken in the flood. And so you have a you really do have a restart or a uh, a new beginning, if you will, with Noah and his family uh, disembarking from the ark. And so we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. And again, today, we're, we're, we're going to go through a few verses here. And we're just going to pick up on a couple of, uh, of big themes. Namely, uh, we're going to come across this word covenant again and really hit that God, of course, is a covenant God and that is important as we go throughout the Old Testament as we go throughout Genesis we're going to see this Noahic covenant we're going to see in um, a covenant with Abraham a covenant with Moses Israel is God's covenant people we today as people of the faith uh, we we should be accustomed to not that we should go around communicating this with people and say Hey, I'm I'm a I'm a covenant child of God. I'm a covenant child. I'm not saying we need to communicate with others in that way, but when we think about our relationship with God, 
we do need to understand that we are the covenant people of God. And that's significant. That is important that God is a covenant keeping God. So we'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. And so, right here out of the gate, of course, we pick up with be fruitful and multiply. But then he says... Between mankind, Noah and his family, between them and the animal kingdom, between them and uh, the beast of the earth, fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens. And this this differs a little bit between the original creation account where Adam and Eve are told to uh, have dominion over the earth, have dominion over all of the animals. Now there's this um, there's this awareness of fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heaven and upon everything that creeps on the ground and the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. And so now we see that uh, in the next verse he says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Well, that differs from the original creation account. <laughs> in the original creation account, all green things, all herbs and plants were given for food. But now God is saying even the animals are given to you for food. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But, there's a stipulation, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. So there is a stipulation there. Don't eat the animals while they're still uh, yet living. Don't kill them and immediately eat them. There's a way of preparation for the food, but the meat is given for food. This is something that is new. This means that in in Noah's world, coming off of coming off of the ark after the flood, uh, they are allowed. God has given them meat for food, so there is death that will take place as a means of sustenance for Noah and his family. That is. New, that's something that is differing from the original creation account. And then he says, And for your lifeblood, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from every man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Anyone who takes the life of a fellow man, his life will be taken. Uh, you can look at these verses and, and just in the, the history of our nation and the history of the world, you can say, well, well, these are some verses that you, when we think of capital punishment, the death penalty, 
this is these are verses that could be used to support. Oh, this is this may be where that came from, that principle, that concept of capital punishment. But God here is clear. Even if it's from the beast, from every beast, I will require. If there is an animal that takes the life of a man, there will be a a um, a recompense, a reckoning that God demands. And then in verse six, we see why it is this way. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And again, that takes us back to the creation account. It is Adam and Eve, it is mankind, that specifically it is said that we were made in the image of God. So there is a, um, there's a connection there as to why God says there will be a reckoning. A reckoning from every beast and from every man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now briefly, at the very end of chapter 8, we cover the fact that God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. Day and night shall not cease. But the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So in Noah's world, there's this, there's this general knowledge that evil, wickedness, sin, it's going, it's going to be here. At some point, there will be um, death at the hands of other men. Whether that be intentional or whether that be unintentional. But there will be bloodshed there will be life that is taken but god is putting parameters on that and god is saying whoever sheds the blood of man his blood will be shed by man for god made man in his own image there's going to be repercussions there's going to be a reckoning for when this happens this is how it is going to be this is what should take place god is saying i will require it and so there are some new or differing uh, aspects of life after the flood as God is preparing Noah and his family. He says, hey, just as I've given you the green plants, now meat is yours. You can eat meat. Just as well, keep this in mind, Noah, when man's blood is shed, there will be a reckoning from every beast and from every man. For, this is the reason, Noah, I have made you in my own image. God has made man in his own image. So there will be a reckoning. But you see with it, and this, in many ways, this should strike us as, in a way, tragic. That is, it's expected, it's general knowledge that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And that's not going to change. That That's going to be nature. That's the natural way of things post-flood. You could go to the New Testament in the book of Ephesians where it says we're by nature uh, children of wrath. Man's natural disposition is we're born in sin. We are, we are not born upright. We are not born perfect. We are born in sin. When Adam fell, all of mankind, the human race, fell with him. He was our representative. 
And so God acknowledges at the end of chapter 8 there, he says, I'm never going to curse the ground because of man again, for the intention of man's heart is evil from their youth, from his youth. And then he tells Noah, there's going to be some recompense. There's going to be reckoning that I will require when man's blood is shed. And that is one of the new things. But for us, when we look at this, we say, there should be a part of us where we, it's as if we're saying, and nothing has changed. And nothing has changed. Do we see in our own lifetime that there's rampant wickedness and evil all around? Do we see that there are crimes that ought to be punished? Do we see bloodshed? Yes. We see these things. And so it has been. When we, again, to tie that back in with the end of chapter 8. When we look around, we say, well, the intention of man's heart is it evil from his youth. Yes. When we see God himself telling Noah here that you need to know this. There will be a reckoning whenever man's uh, blood is Shed, And this is something that is new. We didn't see this the first go around with Adam and Eve. But post flood, this is all, again as almost as if it's general knowledge that this is how it's going to be. And he's telling Noah this and his three sons. And then he says, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so this is really the first directives that we have from God to Noah as they are coming off the ark. Be fruitful, multiply, fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every beast and upon every bird of the heavens and upon every thing that creeps on the ground and the fish of the sea into your hand. They are delivered. This is something new. The shedding of man's blood and the the reckoning that is required from it. That is something new. But Noah... And his family are given these directives from God. And in this restart, this new beginning, we understand death is going to be a natural part of things. And again, that's why I say when we look at this, there should be a part of us. We say this is there's something in this that's almost tragic. And we know in our lives today, again, we look around, do we see death? Yes, we see the repercussions of sin all around us. We see how sin has affected the entire human race. We also see, consider the flood. We see how God judges sin. God hates sin. We keep all of these things in our mind. We keep all of these things with us. We are aware of sin. We are aware of death. We are also aware of God's provision, God's command, God's teaching, God's word. To Noah and his sons, he said, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And then God says to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So we have the covenant and then we have the details of the covenant. This covenant is not just with Noah and his sons and their wives. This covenant is with the human race. This covenant is with all of the beasts of the earth. 
and the, the details of the covenant is this. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And that goes for everything that lives and breathes upon the earth. This is a covenant with all of mankind and with all the beasts. And this is a covenant that God still upholds today. There is a sign for this covenant. In verse 12, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So, this covenant made with all creation, all beast, all flesh. That is going to differ from covenants that we see come later on. When God makes a covenant with Abraham... It's going to be more specific. When God makes a covenant with Moses and Israel, it's going to be more specific. But for this, for this text, and I want us to keep in mind, this covenant between God and all creation, all flesh, all beasts, I want us to notice something. Does history hold another account where the entire, the entire world has been overtaken in a flood? Or is this flood the only time it has ever happened in the history of mankind? Has it ever happened again? No, that's not a trick question. No, it hasn't. So, to this day, is God still upholding His covenant with all mankind? Whether they're believers, non-believers, Christians, pagans, whatever ethnicity, whatever nationality, is God still upholding this covenant with all flesh, yes. You say, well, why is that important? God is a covenant God. When He makes a covenant, He keeps that covenant. God told Noah, this isn't, this is for you and all your offspring, all flesh that comes after you, all the beasts, all, everything coming off of the ark as they are fruitful and as they multiply, all things that walk upon the earth, all flesh, all the beasts, all the things that creep upon the earth, all the birds of the air, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. Never again will I cut off all flesh. God made this covenant with man. With all flesh. Is God still upholding His covenant? Yeah. Then much more so should we take seriously and we should rest in the promises of God when He enters covenant with His own people. A more specific covenant Later to come in Genesis. And as we study that out throughout uh, the rest of scriptures. But just to be very simple and straightforward this morning. When we think about God being a covenant God. We can look at this covenant. Made with all flesh and say. He's upholding it. Later when we start to look at covenants that he makes. With Abraham and Moses and the people of Israel. And then later in the Old Testament. Makes covenant with David and so on and so forth. We see these things and we. Whatever covenant you come across in Scripture, I can guarantee you, you're going to find God is faithful to those covenants.
God is faithful to those covenants. And this covenant comes with a sign. There is a sign for this covenant. When we walk outside after it rains or if it's a cloudy day or if it's misting outside and you walk outside and you see a rainbow, that is still to this day, that is the sign of this covenant. When we see, when we see a rainbow outside, it shouldn't be just this simplistic, a rainbow is God's promise. I learned that in church and that's really cool. I mean, it, it should be, and you might, not have to, you might not have time to process this every single time you see a rainbow. But when we see a rainbow in the sky, we should, there should be this joy. That we have as believers in knowing God is a covenant God. That is a sign that he gave all the way back right after the flood to Noah. He said, this is the sign of the covenant. You can rest in my promises. You can know I'm giving you my word. Never again will I flood the earth. Never again will I cut off all flesh. We should be reminded of God's character, of God's faithfulness. Every time we see a rainbow, the sign of that covenant and for non-believers as well. And I know today that the, the sign of the rainbow has been hijacked and used for wicked worldly things. Nevertheless, the Christian knows we say that is a sign of God's covenant. You can pretend that it means something else or you can use it and you can pretend that you're using it for your own motives and your own agendas. But know this. Ultimately and only the only true meaning of that is that it's a sign of a covenant that God made that he will not cut off all flesh. Which, by the way, by the way, using this as a witnessing tool to non-believers, you say, which, by the way, the breath that's still in your lungs right now, the fact that the rainbow is there is a sign that there is still hope for you to be saved. That God has not cut us off. That there still is a way to be made right with Him and that is through Jesus Christ alone. It is good that God is a covenant God even for the non-believer. Even for the non-believer that would say, I don't believe in God. I don't." Th-. And if there is a God, I don't think that He's a good one. You say, your feelings and your thoughts don't change the fact that God being a covenant-keeping God is good news for the believer and the non-believer. The non-believer needs to hear it, whether they believe it or not. The truth is God is a covenantal God. And He is a God who keeps covenant. He is a faithful God. Now, obviously, we as believers, we would say, we definitely need to have a firm grasp on that. We must have a firm grasp on that. Because if God is a God who keeps His Word, then at what time is there any time where the believer should be overtaken in doubt and fear and anxiety? I think I asked that same question or a similar one last week. There is never a time where we should be overtaken in fear or doubt or anxiety. Because we know that if God is a covenantal God and He keeps His covenant, He is faithful to His promises and to His Word, then there is nothing that we as believers ever have to fear. Because what has He promised us in Jesus Christ? Eternal life. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
But again, this morning I said we would be simple and straightforward. So just remember this. And if if you're not fully grasping it this morning and you say, I've never really thought about the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. What does that mean? Why is that important? That's okay. All I'm asking you this morning is hold on to it. Write it down somewhere. If you have questions about it, put God is a covenant-keeping God? Question mark. Why is that important? God is a God of covenant? Question mark. You can write it down somewhere. Just keep that in mind because that's going to continue to come up, especially in our study of Genesis. Right? Then, the only other thing that we discussed this morning that is, it, it is important to consider and to note, make note of it. In the original creation account, up against what we have with Noah and his family and the, the fresh start or the new beginning, if you will. Some of the differing things that we have are given to us right here in Genesis 9. Instead of taking dominion over the earth and, and all things, it says, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. I meant to make this little joke earlier, but I know it's hunting season now. And, you know, um, you you hunters, you, you've probably taken notice that, you know, there's there's great measures you've got to go to not to scare the deer off, right? And run them off. Hey, you can't you can't just be up in your deer stand making a lot of racket and jumping up and down and hooping and hollering and everything else. And, you know, I know some people fall asleep, you know, not naming names, but he's hanging his head over there. But but there are. If you're not a hunter like me, I'm not a hunter. Kelly Folsom said by the time I came along, there wasn't enough time to go hunting anymore. So I think he used to hunt back in the day, but driving down the road. Animals that are on the road. If they see a car coming down the road, they typically get scared off and they run off, right? Okay. The fear and the dread of you. If you walk up upon a wild animal in the wilderness or you happen upon one, typically what's going to happen is they're going to scurry away, right? So you can actually look at this and say, well, that's true. The fear and the dread, it's upon every beast and the birds of the heaven and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, right? But that's differing there's a fear there there's a dread now and god tells them meat i have given meat into your hands that you can eat just as i gave you the green plants now you can have meat that's something that differs from the original creation account and we see that there's a a reckoning man's intentions from his youth the intentions of the heart are evil how does god how does God curve or rein in the wickedness and the evil intents of man? He tells man, he tells Noah, there's going to be a reckoning, there's going to be requirements. Later, when we get to the people of Israel, and God literally gives his law and gives his commands, you're going to see there's great detail in there over how to punish different crimes, over how to punish different areas where people go against the law. There's, there's different ramifications. There are different reckonings. But, but when it comes to taking the life of another fellow human, there are very strict and very severe repercussions. And we'll see that in greater detail later on. But here we have it just in its basic form. When man's blood is shed, there will be a reckoning that is required. And Noah and his family will be responsible for carrying out those things and helping to to rein that in but god himself has set this in motion 
And that differs from the original creation account. Then we see the covenant that is made, that is established. And by the way, that is God keeping His Word. Don't forget that before, before the flood, God told Noah, with you, I will establish my covenant. And what happens when Noah and his family gets off the ark? God establishes His covenant. Even that is God keeping His Word and God being faithful to do that which He has promised. What is the covenant? Never again. Noah, this covenant is for you and your sons and your offspring and all flesh after you. Never again will I destroy the entire world in a flood. Never again will I cut off all flesh with floodwaters. One last final note there. This to tie in with the last two or three weeks that we've been studying through Genesis. Do we still see floods in the world today? Yes. Do we see tsunamis and monsoons? Yes. Do we see hurricanes? Yes. Do we see damage? Do we see death that involves water? Yes. And who is it? Who is it that tells those storms, those tsunamis? Who is it that says this far? This is the parameter. This is the boundary. Who is it that reigns in those waters? Who is it that isn't opening up the windows of heaven and opening up the depths of the deep? Who is it that is withholding all of that uh, damage, all of that, um, all of that death that could be poured out when these things happen? God Himself. And why does he do it? Because he's honoring the covenant that he made. Never again will he destroy the earth. Never again will he cut off all flesh with a flood. And he establishes the covenant with a sign. And we are still able to see and behold that sign even still today. You walk outside, you see the rainbow. We should be reminded of God's faithfulness. God's goodness. God's glory, God's mercy, God's promise of salvation. Because just as he saved Noah and his family through the flood, God saves his own people and God's people will not be harmed and not be overtaken in the wrath and the judgment of God that is going to be poured out at the end of the age. We should be reminded of the character of God when we see the rainbow. We should be reminded that He is a God of covenant. He honors His Word. He is a faithful God and we can rest in that. So today, this the talking through, teaching through these verses, mainly of course is for the believer. I pray that this strengthens our faith, that, faith that, that this gives us some meat to chew on and some things to consider about our covenant keeping God who reigns sovereignly over all things. But for the non-believer as well. That's the same thing for you to chew on. And for you to consider. That God is a God of covenant. He keeps his word. And even for you the non-believer. There is a sign that, that we get. When we see the rainbow in the sky. God is a covenant God. And that's what it truly means. And it's important for all people to know. That God is a God of covenant. Who keeps his word. All who believe will be saved. At the end of the age, when Christ returns, 
and this earth, instead of being taken in a flood, when this earth melts away with fervent heat, the only ones that will be spared, the only ones to be saved, the only ones that will be redeemed are those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is a part of God's promises to his people. That is a part of God's covenant with his people. So the fact that God is a God of covenant is important for the believer and the non-believer alike because it is truth. It is who God is. It is who God is. And we need to contemplate that and meditate upon it. So thank you for listening well today. Next week we'll pick it back up, finish out chapter 9, and continue through our study in the book of Genesis. Let's pray.